I'd like to talk to you today a little bit about that, about what walking out our faith looks like, is going to look like. You know, we have this wonderful opportunity to come to Jesus and to be called into a unique purpose and destiny on our lives that we get to grow into. But a big part of what we have to understand is that when that happens, we are going to face opposition. There are going to be attacks that are going to come against us and what God is doing in our lives. Those attacks originate from the darkness of an underworld, Satan and his demon forces that are out to destroy everything that God wants to do. So you just have to know this. As a believer, if you're going to grow in your calling, you're going to fulfill what God's put you on this earth to do, you're going to have to meet opposition from hell and overcome it. You have to do that. As a believer, you must be equipped and able to overcome what the enemy tries to bring against you to stop the progress that God wants to do in your life. This is very relevant for many who are making the decision today to get baptized for new believers because I just got to tell you that it's going to happen right away. The enemy is going to try to stop things that God is doing immediately. And, and part of my job as a minister of the gospel is to help equip people to overcome. Now, I, I, I'm not the overcomer. I, I, don't, uh, I, I can't make you overcome. I can simply give you tools like the word of God and truth that if it gets in you, you will be equipped to overcome what the enemy tries to bring against you. I had a friend one time. He was driving to work. And he had a, it's kind of a rickety vehicle, and he hit a pothole, and when he hit the pothole, his tire flew off. And so he skidded off to the side of the road, sparks flying, needless to say, he was late to work that day. And, uh, and I think that picture has always stuck with me, like sometimes people's faith, it's like it's going along, things are fine, as long as the interstate is smooth, but I just got to tell you, there are potholes in the land, and when they hit potholes, it's like the wheels come off. <laughs> and we need a faith, praise God, that won't do that. We need a faith that can, can persist, persevere, and, and can look the enemy in the eye and say, devil, you're not going to get the best of me, and God is going to win this battle in my life, and then overcome that. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is Unshakable Faith. Unshakable Faith. We're going to visit in two different stories this morning, and I'm doing that intentionally because I want to connect this pattern and this principle for you throughout all of scripture, but two stories in particular I think will help us see and understand the truth of this message, and and I pray in the name of Jesus that it would strengthen us, that every one of us would go out of here today stronger in our faith than we were even when we walked in here. Would that be okay with you if God wanted to do something like that? You know, we need courage to not run from a fight. We need courage to stand in the face of an enemy who, I just got to tell you, is inferior to the God we serve every single time. But we've got to have that courage 
to show up, to not walk away, to not flee. You know, David, it says he went to the stronghold. He went to the giant, not away. A lot were, were running. A lot were fleeing. Many were hiding in caves and trembling. But there were men of God, women of God, who went towards the battle. Because they knew that there was a battle that needed to be fought. And there was a God who could win it. We need that in our world today. Men and women of God who are prepared to go the distance. No matter what the intimidation the enemy tries to bring against us might look like. And so we're going to look at a couple passages of scripture. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and start by opening to Acts 20. Acts 20. And I'm going to read some verses here. This is about Apostle Paul and this moment that he's having with some of his really dear and close friends, disciples that he's poured into. And this is a moment before a major turning point in Paul's life where he's getting ready to start headed down this road. It's, it's going to be a bit, but he's, he's beginning this journey that's ultimately going to lead him to his death. And he's, the Holy Spirit is helping him to understand that there are a lot of things that are going to be tough in front of him, but God's still calling him to go that way nonetheless. And so let's start in verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called for the elders of the church. This is Paul. So he called them to come to him. When they had come to him, he said, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, listen to this, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that all of you among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch 
And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with my tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Jump down to verse 36. He says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to just speak to us today. We declare and we know you are a speaking God, that your voice is alive, that your word is alive. In fact, God, if you don't speak, we don't have direction, we don't have revelation, we don't have clarity about the things we need to know. We recognize that the things you need us to see are not discernible by the natural man. And so we implore you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and our ears to both see and hear the things that the natural man is incapable of peering into. You have our hearts, oh God. Would you lead them now and direct them down the the course of this journey that you have us on as a people individually, as a church, and as a body of believers, as the body of Christ here on this earth. We want to serve you and we want to see your kingdom advanced through our lives. And so we just lay down any distraction, any rivaling thought or idea that might get in the way of what you want to do in our lives today. Help us, God. We bind up any foul spirits that might be attempting to stop the work of God. that cannot be stopped. And we just bind up anything, God, that's not of you in this place today. And we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, I love this, this story. You know, Paul is wrapping up a lot of his ministry work now. He's been with many of the churches for years. He's poured into them. And you can see the affection, can't you, in these passages that these men and women have for Paul. The deep affection. Their kiss on the neck. I mean, it's just, it, it means such deep sincere affection towards him and he's letting them know i'm not going to see you again the holy spirit has given him understanding that this is it like they're gonna this time he's not coming back and he knows that i want you to think about that for a second that he's headed somewhere for god that he knows is going to be incredibly difficult for the flesh for the for the human man and yet he's not moved by that. And these men and women, they're, they're longing for him and they're, they're crying. And, and later in chapter 1, it even says that they tried to persuade him not to go. And he's like, you're breaking my heart. No one's, you know, God's already told me to do this. I have to do this. And so they said, we can see it's God. We just got to stop trying to talk him out of it. Because they love him that much. But, you know, they love him that much. I'm just, I'm convinced of this because of the full 
context of these verses. They love Paul so much, not just because he's a great guy, he's likable and fun, great to hang around and always the life of the party. You know, that's, that's not the, the substance of this here. Maybe parts of this, but it's the substance of this, I'm convinced, is because of what we see several times in these passages we read where Paul says, I held nothing back from you. I, I gave you the whole counsel of God. What does that mean? Church, he's saying, I, I preached the word in totality to you. I, I, I preached the things that are a lot of times comforting and exciting and easy to hear, but I preach the things to you as well that are not always easy for the flesh to take in, but are necessary for the health of your soul. I didn't hold any of it back. No matter what the cost was, I brought the whole counsel of God to you. And this is so powerful. Think about this, guys. He says, and now I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be here with you anymore. I'm not going to be the one to come along when things get tough and encourage you anymore. I've enjoyed that. I've filled my role. I've done that as God's instructed me, but it's not, an un, it's not a never-ending role. And he says, and there will be wolves <laughs> that are going to come after me, and they're going to try to break you up, and they're going to try to lead you astray. They're going to drop false teachings in your ear. They're going to try to get you to follow them instead of follow God. I'm telling you just so you know it's coming. And when you see it, I want you to remember that I told you this. Nevertheless, I've given you the whole counsel of God. And it is the word of God alone that is able to build you up. I see the humility and the understanding in this man. He's like, I've been your leader, I've been your pastor, I've been an apostle to you, but at the end of the day, it's not me that you need. It's the word that I've given you. It's the word that you continue to take in that's going to build up your soul, that is going to make sure you are ready when the wolves are at the door. And he says on that point, I commend you to God. <laughs> He's saying, I'm good with how I've carried out my assignment. From here, the results are in God's hands. He even says it this way. You probably heard it when we said it because it, it sticks out. He says, I'm, I'm clean. My hands are clean of the blood of all men. How can he say that? How can he say that? He can say that because he knows I haven't held anything back from you. I've preached you the whole word. I've helped you hear everything I know you need to hear. And I've even given you the direction to keep feeding yourself with the word of God that stands forever. I've equipped you. Now go and fight as I have fought. Because the enemy's coming for you the same he's coming for me. He's prepared them well. I'm clean of the blood of all men. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel was tasked with this hard assignment to go to God's people and tell them, you got to come back from, come out of sin. You got to repent. You're, 
You're lost in wickedness. Not an exciting message to go take to a nation of people. Not at all. You know what God said? He said, Ezekiel, this is a wayward people. But here's what you need to know. If you don't go and tell them what I'm telling you to say, and they die in their sin because you didn't speak, their blood is on your hands. But if you do tell them what I tell you to say, whether they repent or whether they reject, your hands are clean. Wow. I think Paul totally understood that. And I think preachers today need to understand that. We are commissioned before the God of the universe to preach every single part of this word in totality, however it makes you feel, however people's emotions respond. I get that that factors into our lives, but at the end of the day, it's circumstantial. We have to declare the whole counsel of God to the people who need to hear it, or they will not be ready for what's coming when it comes. They will not. I was reading a bunch of these studies lately that have really concerned me. Um, You know, this group called Barna, very credible group that does a lot of studies. They do a great job of pulling data and measuring it and really qualifying all of their metrics. And they've been studying for, I think it's almost 30 years now, um, a lot of the behaviors and patterns in America, but also in the church. And I, I even this morning came across the most recent one, and it talked about the percentage of Christians who actually have a biblical worldview. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? Because a biblical worldview essentially is saying God is sovereign, the word is ultimate truth, it's infallible, nothing else is like that, like it... It is superior. God's word is superior. If it says it, it's truth. If anything that we hear conflicts with it, then it's lies. It's just, it, it settles it, right? So to have a biblical worldview means that my highest truth comes from the word of God. I live my life. I make my decisions. I respond to the world based on the lens of scripture. So they've been tracking these statistics. Now, it probably won't surprise you to know that just in the American population of the United States, that statistic is about 4%. 4% of people in the United States say, I live my life based on a biblical worldview. But I'm just telling you what's staggeringly concerning to me is that the percentage in the church of born-again believers is 11%. 82% of professed born-again believers acknowledge they live many of the areas of their life inconsistent or not according to what the Word of God actually says. And out of many who are not a part of the 11% that have a biblical worldview, they hold what is called synchristic or syncretism, which means that they mix other lenses or other types of worldviews together to try to form their own. So they, 
essentially pick and choose, you heard me, which pieces of truth they're going to adopt and which they will not. <sighs> mm. I just feel like we got we to gotta get to the foundation, right? We, I mean, we have to address that and we have to build people up in the church because if, if almost 90% of the church doesn't have a biblical worldview, then people like me, like we need to, we, we must be doing something wrong. Like as a, as a whole, we need to address that. We need to think about that. I used to feel like, you know, I was this young, in-touch pastor, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of keen with where the trends and things are in the world, and I, I used to see myself that way, and I read statistics like this, and I'm telling you, I feel like, I guess somehow along the way, I just became like this old-fashioned preacher, oh, there's another one of those guys standing up and saying the Bible is the only truth, it's infallible, it's without error, like, doesn't matter what science says, the Bible is the only answer to everything. There's another one of those old-fashioned preachers up there saying the only answer is in the Word of God. Well, I guess you can just call me old-fashioned and we can get it over with right now. Like a dinosaur now or something, right? Oh, Paul, Paul is warning them, and, and what he's saying is, I gave you the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold anything back. I didn't hold anything back that you needed, no matter, no matter what the feelings and emotions and flesh felt like. And because of that, I have been able to help you have a proper, accurate, biblical worldview, that the Word of God is going to be your foundation and you will be able to overcome anything that the enemy tries to bring against you. Oh. Paul knew that there was going to be opposition to advancing the whole council. He was dealing with it, but he also knew that there would be opposition in the future of the church as well. This is a war. And the whole counsel of God is going to be attacked. And if the enemy could come and dismantle and pull down pieces and tell people that they can keep little parts of it, and he is succeeding in his efforts to bring destruction. He says, I've equipped you with the whole counsel. Church, we will be subject to attacks because the enemy wants to stop what God's doing in our lives. But listen, you need to hear this too. That there are people in the world who are not following God, who are under the sway of wickedness. That the enemy of darkness can use to try to come and attack us in our mission and in our purpose of where God's wanting to take us. And I hope that you hear me on this. I mean this sincerely. That's still a soul. That's still a human being. That's still a person that God can reach out and save and rescue from the pit of darkness. And we got to pray for their soul. But you just got to understand that there are attacks that are going to come to stop you, to hurt you, to bring you down, to keep you from progressing forward because the prince of the power of the air is at work in sons of disobedience. 
I mean, that's just truth. I don't know if you hear that. Be oh, that's pretty offensive. That's a that's a little strong. Satan's really like influencing people. Well, I don't know. That's what the Bible says. He is because their faith isn't established, and so. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. If you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering against me, right? I'm just trying to tell you, like, these things are going to come, and, and the more you get into line with the perfect will of God for your life, and, and you're a kingdom ambassador moving the kingdom forward, you better know the forces of hell are on alert, but praise God, I'm just telling you, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that he who was born of God has been given the nature of the overcomer and this is what overcomes the evil in the world, our faith. It's going to overcome it. If it's true and it's real and there's substance to it, it's going to prevail. It's going to overcome it. And Paul says that, he says, I, uh, I go bound I go bound in this, hmm. which means he's tethered to the calling and the direction that God is taking him. Pick, put that picture in your mind. I'm bound to it. He's strapped and wrapped and tethered. He's tied down. He's anchored to it. Mm. I love it because he knows that it's the most important thing that he has to be committed to. At the end of the day, I got to do what God's telling me to do. And I got to go where he's telling me to go. And me, I'm, I'm bound to, by the Spirit and to the Spirit. He's saying it's, it's unshakable. It's inseparable. Where he goes, I go. Where he leads, I lead. Through the pleasant valleys and through the difficult assignments, I'm bound either way. And I think a lot of times, you know, especially if we're looking at these statistics in the church, we, we could say that a lot of Christians are loosely tied. Got a little silly string around them, you know pothole, something happens, no longer committed to that, no longer going to stay the course, but Paul says, no, I'm I'm bound to it. I mean, I think he's crying too. I I think he's sorrowing too. I don't want to leave you either. I don't want to go. I love you. You think it feels good for me to say I'm never going to see you again? Like, you're my brothers and sisters. I have such deep affection for you. I've poured my life into you, but the Spirit says go, and so I'm bound. And I, and I believe that those who are watching his example are getting it like, yeah, we don't want him to go either, but, but we get it. And, and guys, we need, we need to be bound to. We, we need to be bound to what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives too. Because there's, there's, there's a tax coming down the road too. There's wolves. Did you hear them? Wolves are coming to lead God's people astray. He's not going to be here, guys, for forever anymore. We got to be ready. We got to be ready. And he says, I'm going. <laughs> and I don't really know all that's going to happen there. 
except the Holy Spirit has said in every city, which means a confirming word out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, probably prophetic people coming and saying, Paul, I got a word for you, I got a word for you. And he's probably getting revelation from God and dreams and all that. He says, I don't know what's going to happen when I go to this place I'm bound to go that I know I got to go. But the only thing I know is that the Spirit says in every city, he's telling me, chains and tribulations await me there. <laughs> oh, our faith got to stand strong, doesn't it? When we know we're walking into some difficult things. You know, Katie and I, my wife and I, we've been married. It'll be 20 years this fall, October. And we've been together um, for about 22 years. And, you know, through the course of that, as a husband, you, you learn a lot of lessons. And one of the things that I've, I've learned, <laughs> what, is, um, you know, I just let most things go. Just let them go. Right, guys? Husbands, like, we get that, right? We just, we let most things go. Not a big deal. Not going to rock the boat. It's not worth fighting over. Just going to let them go. But every now and then, there's one worth fighting for, you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, you just know that you know. And you go, go to her and, babe, look, I, I just got to tell you, I'm right on this one, okay? <laughs> and, and I know when I'm going, I'm, I'm going into harm's way, man. <laughs> Chains and tribulations are waiting. No, I'm just kidding. But I go nonetheless. I'm kidding, but, you know, Paul, he's, he's conveying something really important to us. I'm not sure that there's anything more relevant today by way of teaching and instruction that the body of Christ needs to hear based on what's happening and probably what's coming, then you need an unshakable faith. <laughs> I mean, I'll be up here. Other things may shift and happen. Other assignments may come. Like, as a people of God, like, we've got to, the whole counsel of God needs to be taught to us, and we've got to develop an unshakable faith. We've got to be able to say, I will bound in the Spirit. And jump over to this next story, and I want to show you this kind of same pattern from a different vantage point. It's in Exodus 17. And this story takes place, this is right after uh, God delivered the nation of uh, Israel out of Egypt. And so they're being led into the promised land. And the Red Sea's already parted. The Egyptians have already been crushed by the water. And they have been led to a place where God brought them water from a rock. Because they didn't have water. And he brought them bread from heaven. So they didn't have food. And so there's, these, there's three lessons actually God teaches them early. And two of them are, you're going to have to depend on me. For water, and you're going to have to depend on me for bread. 
And the third one is really powerful, and it hooks right into this message that I'm trying to help you see today. So let's just read verses 8 through 16. So Amalek, the Amalekites are the people of Amalek. Um, they're a group in the north. They're raiders. They're, they're bad people. Um, they came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So they came down and just like came right to Israel as Israel's moving through the promised land. And they just, boom, come just right in their face just when they get started, okay? And another picture, like if you're a new believer, like the enemy's going to try to hit you right off the bat, right? So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. But when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. He was weary, he was tired. And so they took a stone, they put it under him, and then he sat on it. And then Aaron and Hur came and supported his hands, one on each side and the, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recount it for the hearing of Joshua right, and then the next generation, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh Nisi, or Jehovah Nisi. Lord is my victory and my banner. And so, I want you to think about this. God said, you're going to have to learn some lessons. You're going to have to learn them quick. You're going to have to trust me for water. You're going to have to trust me for bread. But the third lesson that they had to learn is you're going to have to trust me to fight your battles. They, they did not know war. You understand that? They just, they, they just came out of Egypt. They were slaves. Other than hand tools, they did not know warfare. It's totally foreign to them. Never been in a battle before. Not this generation. And yet, they find themselves in one right away. Right after they come out of, the prom, or out of Egypt, headed to the promised land, through the Red Sea... And then, boom, the enemy is relentless. I mean, he just comes, he comes, the Amalekites come marching down from the north, and they come to Rephidim, and it's like just as soon as they start getting a little bit of traction, boom, they're now faced with an opposition. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's just right off the bat, they're hitting them. <clears throat> and so, they win the battle. Obviously, God instructs them, he says, I'm going to fight for you. Moses keeps his hands up. They, they defeat the Amalekites. These untrained soldiers are now warriors. God wins the battle. So I'm going to say something to you. And what I'm getting ready to say is something that if you're here with us and you hang at LCX for the rest of this year or you're here for this year, I, I hope that if there's three or four things that stick with you, um, and, and major takeaways, I, I really hope that this, this is one of them, what I'm getting ready to say. And what I'm getting ready to say, it is probably going to mess with you when I say it. Like when you hear it, you're going to be like, what? How's that possible? What? Like it's, it's probably going to mess with your theology a little bit too at first when you hear it. But I promise you, if you ponder it and you give me a chance to show you something, it's sound. Okay, so here it is. Here's the statement.
God will intentionally lead you to places where he knows you're going to be attacked. I'm going to say it again. God will intentionally lead you to places where he knows you're going to be attacked. And so, how do you know that? Well, first of all, Paul said, the Spirit of God is leading me to go to Jerusalem, and I know chains and tribulations await me. I could tell you about Jesus and how the Father led him straight to the cross. Let me show you one more thing, though, just to anchor this for you. It's sound. Theologically, God will lead you to places he knows you're going to be attacked. Exodus chapter 13, 21. Can I give that to you? I don't know if I can give that to him. Sorry. The Lord went before them by day. This was previous to Rephidim. So the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And he went by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night. I don't really have time to teach you how the cloud and the fire, the pillar of cloud and fire is the Holy Spirit. And he's a guide in our life. It's, it's true. So this is the reason I said that verse is because the pillar of cloud and fire led them to Rephidim. So God led them to a place where he knew they were going to be attacked. Why would he do that? If that's true, then here's something that we have to take away right away. Then God's primary objective is to not keep us out of battles. Oh. His primary objective is to not keep us out of fights, out of battles, spiritual wars. If that's the case, then what is his objective in it? Well, I'll give you a few things that get accomplished when, when we are willing to get in a fight that's worth fighting. When the Spirit of God is leading us to a place where he knows there'll be an attack and we don't flee. We don't run. We're not counted among those who are hiding, shaking, and shivering in the caves. You know, when David went to Goliath, everybody else was perfectly willing to let the little boy go fight. Where are the warriors? Where are the courageous, strong, brave men and women of God today who will say, I serve a God who is well able and capable of overcoming any force of darkness that would come against me. And at whatever it costs, I'm going to stave the course. There are hills that are worth dying on, church. I'm telling you. And there's an enemy who's going to try to intimidate you to make you think it's safer in the cave. And I got news for you. Here's the irony of the whole story. They were never safe in the cave anyway. 
They were just kicking the can down the road. It was coming for them. It was just a matter of time. The enemy was mounting up and he was getting stronger as long as they kept hiding. But oh, a little boy named David. Oh, a guy named Joshua. Oh, a few people who were like, no, this is not God. This is not how he's called us to live. We're going to stand on this hill. We're going to fight for this ground. The enemy can't have it. He's not going to take it. And our God is going to deliver us this day in this battle. They come out equipped. They're ready for the next battle. They come out strong. They know how to wield a sword. They know how to stand in the face of an enemy and look them in the eye and come out of that triumphant. They are one, equipped. Two, the next generation is elevated from what happened. You know, God said almost in every instance when he was taking his people through these things, he said, now I want you to tell the next generation about this. When they come along and they ask you about the memorials that are built and the celebrations to the victories that I won for my people, you're going to tell them. And you're going to tell their children and their children's children. And these things are going to get passed on because the next generation needs to be ready for war as well. I'm going to tell you something. I will not be found leaving the next generation. I promise you. I promise you with everything in me. I will not be found leaving you in dire spiritual condition because I wasn't willing to preach the whole word of God or stand strong when culture was trying to attack what God is trying to advance. Hmm. The next generation is elevated. And the third thing, the last thing, is that God is glorified. God is glorified. (laughs) Battles that we can't win without Him. He has to get the credit. They're too big. He's glorified. You know when they came to Jericho? You know what Rahab the spy said? Or what Rahab said to the spies? This is crazy. I'm telling you. The victories that God is setting us up. That he wants to win for us. They're a distinguishing mark of his people. This Rahab said, Well, when we found out you were coming, do you know what happened in the land? When we found out that the Israelites that God brought out of Egypt, listen, and made the Red Sea to part for you. And crushed the Egyptians behind you? When we found out you were coming, every nation in this area, our hearts melted. I hope you are hearing me today. Ah, We, the world, needs to see some massive victories for God. 
I mean some mountains in our world coming down, church. And I don't know what you think, but I know what I believe. We serve a God who, that's a part of his whole history of his resume, is taking down mountains and parting seas and bringing down walls. He is a miracle-working God. He's a victory-winning God again and again and again. He is looking for people who will stand, who will stand, who have an unshakable faith. To say like Paul says, I'll read this verse and then we will end on this. Acts chapter 21, I think it's 13. He says, yeah, that's it. He says, what do you, they're weeping and crying over him leaving. He says, for what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's willing to risk it all. And I think that right there is the crux of the burden that's on my heart for the church. Is that we have to be willing to lose it all for Christ. Too many people willing to fight until it's going to cost them something. And we got to be willing to lose it all. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said. But let me just tell you this and encourage you. When you're willing to lose it all, that's actually when you find it all. It's the paradox of the kingdom. The things in the kingdom work totally contrary to the principles of this world that are transient and fading. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of God it stands forever and whatever standing for God may cost you because I, I I can't stand here and tell you it won't cost you something it probably will status reputation comfort in your social circles I don't know I don't know but it probably will but I'm just telling you whatever it costs you. There's a greater reward that Jesus is waiting to release to you for the cost that you're willing to bear. And here's what I know about our God. Even things that could have taken a lifetime to accumulate that are seemingly lost. I serve a God who can give it all back and then some in a moment. And that may very well be the kind of thing and things that the world needs to start seeing. But they won't if men and women of God aren't willing to lose it all for Christ. To be bound in the spirit and have an unshakable faith. Is God speaking to you today? I know he's speaking to me. Much is at stake. The condition, Lord, help us.
the condition of the body of Christ in our world today needs desperately men and women who will be authentic, who will hold true 100% to what the word of God says and who will live it out and who will be distinguishing marks in our world for Christ. Where the enemies in our land and in our day, we might hear with our ears when we heard you were coming, <laughs> when we heard you got that job and you were coming over here, when we heard you were planting a church in this community, when we heard that that person got elected to government, when we heard our hearts melted because we knew this is a people who serve the living God and he fights for them. Amen, amen, amen. Ah.